Welcome back to the Ask Different Podcast. This is episode number 18, recorded November 12th, 2011. I'm Kyle Cronin. I'm Jason Solis. I'm Nathan Greenstein. And we are, once again, back on a now kind of cold November day. It's kind of funny. Um, back when we first started the podcast, it was kind of cold outside. And I remember, I believe one of our first conversations was about the weather, wasn't it, Jason? Oh, yeah. Wonderful, snowy, late season Colorado. I know. And then it got warm, and now it's back to cold. Darn these northern latitudes. <laughs> <laughs> For you two, maybe. Well, yeah. Well, true. Yeah. <laughs> For you, but it's I can northern, still, uh, high altitudes. <laughs> yes, yes. High altitudes offset the northern latitude, and then just Mr. Uh, Never Sunny in Seattle over there. We got this big Puget Sound thing that just messes everything up. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. Whatever. I, I like it. It doesn't get too warm. Yeah, and also if you look at uh, like a map of average temperatures and stuff over you know, the entire United States, you'll see that actually the entire West Coast is actually like significantly like warmer. <laughs> if you keep going up the the, the West Coast, Seattle, uh, Vancouver, sort of even southern Alaska is actually milder in the winter time than some areas of like the Midwest and, uh, and and here on the East Coast. Oh yeah. So you know, even latitude doesn't really guarantee anything. I think I think Great Britain is actually considerably higher in latitude than than uh, than any of us, and they still have relatively mild uh, winters. Just kind of throwing that out there. <laughs> <laughs> meteorology despite working it for almost five years is uh not really my not really my forte and those kind of trends i pay attention to where i am and not really too much else and then you hear about things like snowmageddon and everybody knows about that oh yeah one of the things i really like about the uh, ios 5 is uh that in the calendar or not calendar <laughs> in the weather app the leftmost uh, weather pane is your current location so wherever you are it just gives you the current temperature and the current forecast which i think is just genius yeah i'm surprised that wasn't a initial shipped with feature yeah it was i've used that constantly and i love it yeah a lot of those weather improvements especially as come out of the uh tips and tricks question on ask different were really beneficial the fact that uh weather moved into notification center and the drawer in the first place the fact that um the forecast can be swept uh you, you can swipe the current conditions and get the forecast the uh, improvements to the general weather application information is really nice in iOS 5. I'm curious. Have you guys used the no- notification drawer that much? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Because um, I, I haven't. Um, I guess maybe I just don't get uh, that many notifications. But usually what I'll have to do is, you know, like once a week, I'll just have to go in there and just like click on the notifications and clear them out. Some apps do have a problem with that. Um, I think Words with Friends is kind of an offender in that regard. It doesn't always seem to update the notification count. And then there's Facebook. Facebook Oh, yeah. I have something in here, (laughs) Facebook. Um, Apparently someone added me as a friend 18 days ago, and I have no idea how to get rid of that. Uh. (laughs) The, the, The main problem that I have with the Facebook app is the two things with regard to notification center specifically, it never seems to load specific pages. So when you get a comment notification and you tap it from the notification center, it just never loads. So you're sitting here staring at a white screen the whole time. Might just be me. I don't know. I haven't really asked somebody to figure it out, but it's just kind of frustrating because it never seems to, the, the best part of notification center, which is this specific reference, it seems to load the 
the the frame for it, but none of the content. It's for, just for what app? Gets on my nerve. For the Facebook app. Oh. Uh, it I works on the website, of course, but in app, whenever I choose a specific notification, maybe I'm just impatient, but if if I'm that impatient and it takes over 20 seconds, that's ridiculous. It is slow, yeah, the Facebook app. Yeah, I um, you guys know my, my hatred of Facebook, and <laughs> uh, I sort of kept it on my iPhone as kind of like a, a tolerant, you know, maybe if I need to check it for some reason, uh, but if it's going to keep messing up my notifications, I'm just... Uh, I'm going to delete it. And in fact, I just did. So Facebook is gone. <laughs> so is the notification. <laughs> I, I have a, I, I will absolutely admit that I have a very love hate relationship with Facebook app and just a lot of, a lot of weird things that they do and inconsistencies in that regard. Yeah. You definitely know that they don't have the best interests of the users at heart because apparently they had an iPad version of the Facebook app ready to go for months and they just didn't release it for some reason i think they were using it as like a negotiating ploy with apple or something and it's just ridiculous like why would you like why would you hold something like that back i mean why why not provide that for your for your users for what it's worth the ipad compatibility was yeah i remember mg siegler posting about it on TechCrunch a time or two and also on his own blog too i'm sure uh, and there was the whole ability to unlock it from within the iPhone app. or No, no I'm sorry, ju- just unlock it generally for use on an iPad when you already have the supposed iPhone-only version. But the iPad version, the iPad official compatibility came out just after the complete redesign, and that's both the latest round of updates to the web and then also the visual update to the iPhone version of the Facebook app. Okay, I mean, I I understand that you know maybe they wanted to time it right, but still, um, they could have gotten like an an early sort of basic version out months yeah. ago. So, yeah. oh, I'm not uh, believe me, I'm not yeah. excusing them. There's too many other things that I have to gripe about, like the ability, the inability to submit a comment with the split keyboard. You know, I was talking with like a a, a few people the other day about Facebook, non technical people, and. You know they they pretty much hate Facebook more or less as much as I do. They don't they don't completely excise themselves from the service like I do, but they're like you know I don't like Facebook at all. I don't put any you know personal information on Facebook. I only use it because I have to use it to talk to these certain people, and I think that that's a, that's a very sort of prevalent feeling that that there's very few people that actually enjoy giving Facebook all their personal information. <laughs> I still think you might be talking to the wrong people, though, because one of the one of the biggest numbers in the Facebook world has got to be the people that actually gratuitously use apps and more specifically games. Maybe. Then again, I think that those people, you know, we 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 know those people exist, but I don't think that they're as common as, as everyone assumes that they are. I, I mean, know plenty of them. Okay, well, <laughs> you're hanging out with fifteen year olds. I think that's that's a big difference. <laughs> well, but that's that's the point is that the people that are still in primary schooling and perhaps a generation older than us that we're we're right in the middle of that demographic that might be a little bit more irked by it in the general in in perhaps a general sense. That's true. The people I was I was talking to are actually older than I am. They're probably yeah. I don't know thirties, forties, something like that. <laughs> So, but I, I, at the same time, I mean, those are the, the basically the market that Facebook is trying to go for uh, with some of their new features like the timeline. And, and that's 
because they basically saturated the <laughs> the young people market and they're they, you know they need to sort of expand to the old people market otherwise they'll sort of stagnate the thing about timeline though is that it doesn't target the old people market because they don't have their data in facebook well the thing is there it's all it's all about oh you know add baby pictures and stuff like that see my my mother is huge on scrapbooking um for the past i don't know how many years she's you know any sort of family vacation or big family event that's that that's happened you know she's taken the photos and she's aligned them with the 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 paper and the the stickers and all that and and put them on these really beautiful uh scrapbooking pages and i think that the, the the timeline is actually a similar kind of functionality where you're basically constructing a visual representation of various large events in your life i think the fact that we're dissecting it to this level also says something about facebook yeah (laughs) despite how much you've talked (laughs) in the past about our our qualms and complaints and everything else yeah um i think that we've probably talked enough about facebook it wasn't even on the list of things i wanted to talk about (laughs) so uh, so uh, nathan you've actually had a chance to check out the microsoft store right i have so seattle is as you know near redmond where microsoft is based and so it's it's strange that this isn't the first microsoft retail store but they have kind of put a lot of effort into hyping this one so it is in the same shopping center, literally across the parking lot, exactly 200 feet away from the Seattle Apple Store. And they look very similar. So when you're inside the Apple Store, you look out the window and you see something that looks very similar to the building you're in. The Seattle Apple Store is, the front of it is made of kind of silver paneled metal and it's got a big Apple logo and then a glass cutout where the doors are and the windows and stuff. And the Microsoft Store is pretty much identical, except for instead of uh, paneled metal, it's paneled white plastic. Still glossy, but it's white. And it's got Windows icons. Or not no, not Windows. It's like the Microsoft icon that looks like the Windows flag. You, you know what I'm talking about. It's the, the square with the four quadrants. Right, right. Yeah. That, but it's like, it's, it's like flat, you know, it's not the... Yeah, you know. yeah. So that's, that's over the door instead of the Apple logo. But otherwise, from the outside, they're pretty identical. And they're actually very similar on the inside, too. So you go into the store, and they've got the employees with the colored shirts and the name tags who greet you at the door, kind of like at the Apple Store. And they've got a bunch of tables with products out on them, kind of like the Apple Store. And in the back, back kind of part of the store, they've got a a couple tables for personal training, kind of like the Apple Store. And even farther back, they've got a little... They call it a, a desk, not a bar, but it's for support. You you make an appointment and come in and ask questions at the answers desk, kind of like the Genius Bar. Yeah, I saw one of the pictures had, um, it said, you know, ask an expert or something. You know, they're calling them experts right. instead of geniuses. You right, know? right. <laughs> so so what they've done is they've really tried to make it like an Apple Store. You know, it's it's very clearly at least inspired by the Apple Store to to the point of being almost an exact duplicate like in the apple store the accessories and peripherals or stuff and stuff are at the back left and in the microsoft store they're also in the back left like down to that kind of thing but there are also some changes and i actually think that most of the changes microsoft has improved on the apple store so so one of the things that's it's not really important but i was just very impressed with it they have this wraparound video wall where from about head level up it's two rows of big monitors all the way around the room 
and they're all connected. And so it's it's actually pretty cool to see various Microsoft products like zoom across the room and have their various features like break off and tell you about them and that sort of thing. I, I like that. It's it's not really important, but I thought it was cool. And one of the other improvements that I like is that at the the tables where you you play with the products, there are chairs. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, and I've never been to an Apple Store with chairs except at the Genius Bar. And well, the they have them at place. like the setup tables and stuff. But I mean, that's that's true. The, right. the little example setup, but I, it was really kind of a cool idea. Like, oh, they actually want me to like sit down and play with this. I, it, it was interesting. And then the the employees are a little more kind of engaging, a little more active, which might just because be because the store was less busy than the Apple Store. But honestly, I've never really been to an Apple store and had somebody like walk up to me and ask to show me something. But at the Microsoft store, I was just poking around and you know with my camera, and I was in the the accessories area. And the one one of the employees who was very friendly came up and said, "You know, what are you, what are you looking at?" I said, "Keyboards. What kind of keyboards? Gaming keyboards." And so he he actually took me across the room to one of their example setups, which was a really nice gaming setup. It was like a giant Alienware tower and a ridiculously big, very dense monitor, nice peripherals. It was, yeah, I, I liked I liked the setup. But he actually, he offered to log into Steam and let me play with this mouse and keyboard. He let me play Battlefield or Portal or whatever. That that seems a little bit beyond the Apple Store examples. Like, they, they've got examples of like a, a multimedia setup that's got like a nice pair of speakers and a fast external hard drive and maybe a nice webcam and microphone or something. But you can't really, you know, you, you, you can open GarageBand and stuff, but it's more of a, you know, you could do this, you know, you, you could buy this stuff for this, but the Microsoft Store, I feel like it's really a, you know, you can try out these products if you're interested in doing it. And, I, you know, you, you can try out the products at the Apple Store, but it's it's less, I feel like the Apple Store is more, their their example setups are more directed at just kind of showing you, but the Microsoft Store or at least the, the setup I went to, they really want you to use it. And I, I'm not saying that's not true with the Apple Store. I just, I haven't really experienced it like that. One of the, actually, the, the neat things uh, that I see in one of your pictures is that it looks like that sort of bar is in the middle of the store instead of all the way at the back. By square feet, it kind of is. But be behind it is kind of this theater area. So they've got a 103-inch television and some some chairs and so that's where they do their little classes and seminars and and stuff like that but they also let organizations uh, local organizations use that room for free as like a meeting meeting area or something when i was there i I don't know exactly the organization but it was some local nonprofit that was having a meeting in that in that area so it's not really part of the store per se oh so behind that's not that's not actually part of the store yeah but actually, these photos are going to be in a big blog post I'm going to do about the Microsoft Store, and it should be up by the time you are listening to this. In the photos, you can kind of see that the the answers bar does not go all the way across the room, and neither does the theater. So kind of on the wings, on the left and right of that, on the left is the accessories area, and on the right is, it's actually very cool. I was impressed by this part. They've got a lot of different Xbox setups so that some of them are just a row of Xboxes connected to TVs with controllers. And But then they've got a, like a, an Xbox sitting on the ground and a connect or on little tables. And so you basically walk up to it and the display is integrated to the video wall. So it's got like this picture in picture thing on the video wall. 
So there's like a little floating window over the product information and, you know, store specials information that shows this. It's like the TV screen of the game you would be playing. I th- that was cool, I thought. And, and in that area, they've also got, a, you know, a respectable selection of games and uh, hardware, accessory hardware for the Xbox. And then kind of near the front of the store, the Apple store has this kind of near the back. It's got these, the, the, the Seattle one anyway, has like four little iMacs down at ground level with little chairs that have lots of kids games on them that kids can kind of play on while their parents are shopping. And the, the Microsoft store has just a connect set up with, with a chair for the parents to sit and watch the kid play or the parents just go shopping. There's only like one connect, right? No, they've got they have they, multiple one, ones, but they're like se- separated, right? Because I would yeah, imagine with the IR dots that it's sending out that it really can't determine, Oh, well these dots are being sent by this connect device. So yeah, I, I don't know exactly, but it's, okay. it's fairly, they're, they're spaced out, but, it's you know you never see two directly next to each other and so how big is this store compared to the apple store it seems bigger it's it's not bigger well the you know the seattle apple store anyway is fairly big well not compared to some of the giant ones but it right it's the apple store is a little bit bigger you know maybe they've got like one more row of tables each direction i don't know it's it's a little bigger but okay yeah i mean apple stores do vary considerably in their size yeah. you know you've yeah. got the little ones in the malls and you've got you know the giant <laughs> you know you yeah, got well, the, this this one's kind of in the middle because it's in a mall, but it and it's you know one one story high, but it's a fairly wide space. I would say that they've probably got like twenty or thirty tables. So I imagine that uh, all the computers and stuff uh, that you see are available for sale. Uh, yeah, the the goal is to get you to buy buy the hardware, but I think I think they're focusing more on software since the hardware. I mean, they're selling the hardware too. They're they're making money with that, but. It's kind of like the Apple Store. There, they they have third party stuff out, but they're mainly interested in having you buy one of their products. I think okay. same thing with the Microsoft Store. The, there's definitely a bias towards Microsoft peripherals and definitely a lot of Xbox stuff. But the software is very prominent. Like every table has boxes of Windows and an Office and that sort of thing. And a lot of the a lot of the promotional stuff on the on the video wall is talking about talking about uh, the software. It is kind of bizarre that they're pushing boxes of Windows as much as they are. I mean, Windows 7 has been out for, what, two years now, I think? Like, over two years. Longer than that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, either either you've already upgraded or uh, you, you've bought a computer that has it on it. You know, I, Microsoft's strategy has always been to just, you know, have you get the operating system by buying it on your latest computer. And so I'm not sure who all these boxes of Windows are for. Apple users bootcamp probably <laughs> Apple right. use, uh, business uh, bootcamp business and uh, people that just came into a new computer after six or so years yeah and also I'm I'm kind of curious one of the big things about the Apple Store is I mean obviously they've got the the retail setup but they've got uh, that that support in the back and you can take your computer in you know something's broken on your computer you can bring it in show them what's wrong drop it off and. It, most likely they'll be able to fix it in a few hours and return it to you later on that day. Well, the the feeling I got with their answers desk was that it was much more software geared. Like they didn't they didn't make any mention of repairs or hardware problems, but they said if you've got a question about how to use your computer or a problem, then they'll help you. That was going to be a pretty similar point that I had is that Microsoft can't do the hardware support by yeah, virtue exactly. of the fact that there's so many of them to have to do. Well, I mean, they could have deals with the manufacturers that if the the computers that they're actually selling in the store 
th- th- those computers that they're authorized to do repairs on in the store itself. Uh, I think that would actually be a, a very smart idea for them to do because, you know, if you buy something at a store and then you, you take it back and they're like, oh, well, we'll just, you know, we'll uh, fix it and you can have it right back. That's one of the, been one of the huge selling points of buying something at an Apple store or buying something from Apple in general is that you can go to any Apple store and take your iPhone, your iPod, your MacBook or iMac or whatever, just take it back. And most likely they'll be able to fix it or replace it uh, either immediately or, you know, next day, something like that. And the repair process with places like Best Buy is like, oh, you know, you got to take it back. The, you know, the, uh, <laughs> the geek squad isn't actually authorized to do anything more than like software on it um you know remove viruses and all that and they basically package it up in a box ship it off you know (laughs) gotta wait a few weeks get get the shit back to the store you gotta pick it up at the store it's just a huge hassle and actually that's that actually brings up another interesting thing so will the microsoft people do uh like a virus removal because that's software right yeah, I, I would the, think that they... I imagine one of the first two things they would do, they they invariably have some kind of software that runs out of band, meaning that they don't run the version of Windows that's on the computer. But then when they are on the customer's computer, I bet the first two things they do are install the malicious software removal tool and the more recent piece of anti-malware software whose name I completely forgot because I haven't actually installed it on any computers yet. I'm just wondering if it's if it's something that they actually do. Like again, I think that that might be uh, a compelling reason to to you know bring a, a Windows computer to a Microsoft store for repair is if yeah. they can do uh, antivirus removal automatically or for you know well, for a very low fee. You know they should be doing that for free. Like <laughs> seriously, like the, the the viruses get on the system due to flaws in the operating system. I think it's 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 an extortion racket to say, oh well, you know this uh, this operating system we sold you, you know, it'd be a shame if it happened to it, you know, and then you got to pay them you know X dollars a month for their um, I don't even know what they call it, but they basically have their own antivirus um, right. program. Microsoft. You're- you're thinking of one care and that was like three to yeah. four years ago. You're, <laughs> you're definitely showing your Microsoft age, Kyle. Am I out of date? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. One care died off years ago. Microsoft releases a tool that is meant to delete malware in the system and also act as not so much a, a resident virus scanner, but it does that rudimentarily and really very effectively from what I've heard. And it's free. The thing that they don't do is they don't make it insanely obvious. They prefer other people who you do have to pay for anti-competitive reasons, for monopoly reasons. I I think that that's just ridiculous. Like, I think that (laughs) securing the operating system that they sell, that's not anti-monopoly. It's Uh, like... Tell that to Europe and the fact that they have to sell something without Windows Media Player and Internet Explorer. Well, I think that's that's a bit different because uh, media playback is... I mean, it is about a different kind of market, but this is like this is like selling someone a, a car that um, has no locks. That has no locks, and that you that you have to go to someone else to have them put some locks in for you. And then the you know instead of just putting locks in, they charge you you know X dollars a month for a car protection plan, whatever you know. <laughs> they'll they'll come around every now and then and uh, you know make sure your car hasn't been broken into. I don't I don't know. It's just it's so bizarre. <laughs> But I definitely think that securing the operating system, that is that is a core function of the operating system. That's not something that's anti-competitive. But I, I mean, I certainly understand if Microsoft did make their 
products substantially more secure, people like Semantic and McAfee would complain. And that just shows how backwards and messed up the whole thing is. Yeah. Like, I mean, recently, Apple, there have been like a few Trojans and stuff on, on the Mac platform. And while they're not like wildly circulating, they do exist. But Apple has been proactive in updating their operating system to block those. X-Protect, I think it goes under the guise of? If, if the volume of Mac viruses ever gets up to what the volume of Windows viruses it is, there's no way that they can keep completely patching the operating system every single time there's a new threat that's just not something that is feasible these don't run as a part of os updates anymore oh really is it Mm. just a background definition it's it's a background process that completely silently retrieves new definitions tuaw has a whole article ever since mac defender really hit google image search and the fact that just doing a google image search can hijack you and take you to a site that can compromise your computer uh, they have a whole series on how to check your definition levels, how to force them to be updated if you really want. The definitions should be up in the like mid to high 20s by now, if I remember correctly. Wow. Just the, mid to high 20s instead of once every single week. And they're also being uh, very proactive in, in trying to... Um, they're, they're basically going to be requiring apps in the Mac App Store to be sandboxed starting sometime next year, early next year, that all apps in the Mac App Store are required to to have sandboxing. And then they basically have to request, um, I forget the word again. Um, entitlements. Entitlements <laughs> to access things that uh, that they want to access, like files and stuff. And the, the fact that apps in the Mac App Store are, are approved by Apple, you know, sold by Apple, plus the fact that, you know, they're going to be sandboxed, presumably somewhat soon, and that you really are seeing these these companies that have had these these Mac apps for years and and they're they're professional and they're they're very robust things like they there's dragon in the app store now uh there's a few adobe products in the app store now the fact that you know you really can do everything you want to do on your mac through the mac app store the combination of those factors will make it such that there will be no vector for viruses to or, or trojans or whatever to come onto your machine. The fact that it's like download this application, people will be like, "I don't understand what that means. I have to go to the app store to download applications, right?" And there well, may that's even- assuming that that's assuming that Apple does make that decision and limit it to app store things. I I, I foresee that probably you know macOS 10.8 or I mean maybe they'll call it macOS 11. I don't know. Uh, we'll have some sort of switch that in in the in the settings that says in like the security panel or something that says only allow signed apps or, or apps that were, you know, approved by Apple through the Mac app store. I really hope it's a switch. And yeah. Not just a, I think they bad. Were. <laughs> that would, because you know, I, I like, I, I've got tons of software on my computer that is in no way malicious, but is nothing like something Apple would approve. And we'll, we'll talk about both of our apps of the week are, they either replace core system functions or modify core system functions. And I love both of those apps, and there's no way that they would get approved by Apple. But they're not malicious or anything. It's it's just a conflict of interests. Right. And um, there are certainly some apps that require uh, more access than, than the entitlements allow them to. But at the same time, I would much rather 
say have maybe like five or six apps on my computer that I get from another source that I sort of override the security functionality and install, but the the rest I know I don't have to worry about. Uh, as opposed to the Windows world where, you know, anyone can download a .msi, double click it, and now it's <laughs> it's got its hooks in your computer forever. And I think that this is going to be a, a positive thing for the, the consumers. I mean, everyone from you know, your basic consumer that uh, only checks their email uh, to someone that like us that uh, routinely, I don't know, installs multiple operating systems. I don't know. I, I, how would you how would you describe a Mac power user? Somebody who wouldn't be content if they had to use apps that met app store approval. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I just think that it's basically all about reducing the attack vector. And it's certainly possible to do that and still maintain the ability to in- install whatever you want. It'll just be more explicit that you're installing something that's not allowed. And I also think that people who are power users, t- to the extent that they would routinely need to install software that isn't Apple approved, are generally smart enough to be able to make the distinction between malware and something else. So it's, you know, it's probably okay if if you're the kind of person who needs to to turn this off, you're probably safe doing so. I can't imagine this being a switch, but I also can't imagine uh, being limited. I, I think the hopefulness in me says that it's not going to happen, but I admit that I'm on the fence considering these changes being made, because why, if there's this secure route for installing applications that Apple vets then why would they allow anything else? Well, I, I'm not th- sure, and I would really hate for it to be locked down that way, but it's it's going to be an interesting, I don't know, two years? Well, think about it like a, like your firewall on your computer. Um, you can go into your Macintosh uh, system preferences, and you can say, I want to turn the firewall on, but I want these exceptions. And you know, you say, well, I, I want iTunes to be accepted, and I want this to be accepted and that. And I think that it'll probably be the same thing where you say, you know, I want to only run apps that were approved by Apple through the Mac App Store or signed or whatever. I'm, I'm mixing up the terminology here, I know. But then you also say, well, I really want, I do want to run transmission. And, you know, I, I do need to run, you know, these Adobe apps and whatever. And then, so you make these six or seven exceptions and th- that's it. You can see there's a list of the programs on your computer that are not uh, secured, Apple approved, whatever. And I think that it's extremely easy. You know, if is your computer compromised? Well, take a look at that list of, of apps. If there's something on that list of apps that shouldn't be there, or if there's something on that list of apps that is like a Trojan or something, just remove it. And then it can't run anymore. I think that that's, it's a, it's a very simple solution, but it would also be extremely effective. That's how I hope it turns out, because that sounds about perfect. Yeah, I would, I'd love that, actually. I mean, I, I'm perfectly fine with Apple... <laughs> You know, having uh, really restrictive entitlements and really restrictive app store policies, as long as I have a way to override it. And yeah, and, and it, yeah, as long as they maintain that. And I think that as long as they'll, I think that they'll maintain that as long as they maintain the Macintosh name or the Mac OS X name. Now, if they're, if they start switching to some sort of Mac OS X iOS hybrid-ish thing, then, you know, you can start worrying then. But, I, you know, as long as it's, in its current incarnation, I think that they'll still allow people to run those quote unquote legacy apps just because if they, if they didn't, then no one would buy new Macs. There would be this huge market for old Macs running the old operating systems. Cause 
That's what you need to run all those applications. The reason why, and this is a whole different discussion all on its own, but the reason why OS X, as it stands, will never disappear is because there are those people, there are those creative and development individuals that have to create content for other people. I'm well aware that Xcode is available on the store, but... Well, maybe I just killed my whole argument by saying that. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right, though. Um, we've actually sort of seen over the past few years Apple make a switch from uh, really supporting and, and providing tools for professionals to something where it's more consumer-based. I mean, just look at the difference between uh, Final Cut Pro, I guess, 9 and Final Cut Pro 10. I, I think it was 7, actually. They went from 7 to 10. Uh, but if you look at Final Cut Pro 10... Uh, sure, it's more glossy and, and and more refined, but it's also a lot more limited in terms of what it can do. And you've got things like the rumors of Apple considering maybe cutting the Mac Pro. Uh, I mean, these are these are tools that Apple has has typically provided for the high end professionals. I mean, obviously, you'd have to be a high end professional to buy a three grand tower nowadays. But I mean, the sad thing is, it's I can see them canceling the line just like they canceled the xserve just like they canceled the xserve raid they're really shifting themselves from like a, a company that provides all these these tools for professionals and, and enterprise and, and and stuff like that in addition to consumer tools to just something some to a company that really just does consumer stuff and i think that that's rather disappointing because uh, there's a lot of people that are now saying well you know i can't i'm a i'm a film professional i cannot use final cut Pro 10 and they're they're switching to other software and they're also switching to maybe other platforms that support that software better and i think that you know for years apple has has been known as the the platform for someone that oh if you, do you want to run photoshop get a mac you know do you want to edit video get a mac you know and now they're going to lose that if they if they're not careful the thing about the Mac Pro that kind of kills me is two specific things. The first one is in the face of faltering sales is something that's been thrown around in the rumor of the Mac Pro's death. You know why sales are faltering? Because it's been it's gone forever without a refresh. And it's too yeah. expensive. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's always it's always going to be lower on the tier. It's always going to be lower on the scale than that of something like a Mac Mini or an iMac because there are more general consumers which are fine with these ridiculously well-integrated packages. But what about those people that need that little bit more performance? I know, I remember reading the specifications that the iMac, the Mac, and even the Mac Mini are very comparable to the Mac Pro, but that's looking at it on its face. The two main reasons why the Mac Pro is still overly viable compared to anything else is expansion slots, PCI slots, and multiple hard drives that you can actually service with a degree of sanity. I think that the the expansion slots is definitely still a factor. But uh, with the with the advent of Thunderbolts, I really don't think that. I mean, you can get basically a box that holds four hard drives or eight hard drives or whatever, and hook it up to a fire a Thunderbolt bus to a Mac Mini or whatever, and get the same level of performance. I mean, it's yes, kind of it's funny that you chose that route because I've actually I have not actually seen something like that. Although that makes sense, and so I just haven't really committed yeah. it to memory. But what I've seen is I've seen an actual three PCI bay bus box that connects via Thunderbolt. A concept, I'm sure, hmm. but in works somewhere. So yes, those are both. Those are both possible, and those are both nice, but they're not here yet. Right. <laughs> so yeah. give, give the Mac Pro enough time to transition. That I would completely agree with. I mean, 
I, I've wanted, I've been thinking about buying a Drobo for some time that I can throw in the corner, maintain hard drives when I need to, connect it over a sensible connector, and stop caring about all these other details like a traditional SAN or direct attached storage solution would use. But it's not here yet, and mm-hmm. I want it to be here, but killing killing something before its time is equally is worse in my opinion yeah um i i think that yes the if you if you do have multiple boxes like oh well here's my you know here's either my imac or mac mini and then here's my box for my pci cards and then here's my box for all my hard drives i mean that's a very inelegant solution but i think that the 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 main thing that the mac pro has that you just cannot get on any other Macs is you can get 12 cores on that and i believe that they're like each core is essentially two virtual cores. So you're getting 12 virtual cores on a Mac Pro and you can fit 64 gigs of RAM in that. Mm-hmm. You can't and do that like with any other Mac. Eight displays. Yeah, well, yeah. Thunder, <laughs> Thunderbolt Max is at two or something, right? Something, uh, well, Thunderbolt, there. Thunderbolt Max is at one. It's just the fact that oh, uh, you can't, high-end, you can't the high-end ones would have a second Thunderbolt port. I mean, you can, the iMac, you, it has multiple Thunderbolt ports on the back and then you can connect... I mean, the iMac obviously has a display built in, and then the the 27 inches, uh, you can connect two additional Thunderbolt displays on. And I remember when they announced this, I said, why would anyone buy Mac Pro? And I mean, I sort of understand that, but if you need like the horsepower, if you need those processors and the RAM for whatever reason, and if you're doing video editing, you definitely do. Or if you need the five extra monitors. <laughs> five monitors, sure. Yeah. Jeff Atwood was actually on John Syracuse's Hypercritical podcast. It wasn't the, the one that just came out, but I think it was last week's, which will, I mean, when this podcast comes out, it'll be two weeks ago. And one of the things he mentions is that the reason why this is a problem is because Ma- Apple does not allow Mac OS X to run on non-Apple hardware. And when he said that, I was like, well, yeah, of course they don't. But then I thought, well, if they did, if they had some sort of thing, limited thing that said, you know, okay, you know, if you want to buy this Mac OS X and run it on this hardware or whatever, here's a set of limited support that that is available uh, in terms of uh, drivers and, and updates and stuff. I think that that would basically completely eliminate the problem. And also, you could install it on server hardware. You know, you can install. And also, you could install it on a two hundred dollar laptop. The thing to think about is this is already kind of a problem. It's mostly just in the context of video cards, but the eternal shift that Apple has been playing games with, bouncing between NVIDIA and ATI backed display cards. Admittedly, this has been this isn't exclusive to Mac Pros, but they've to some extent supported a different range of video cards and that you can place in the expansion slots on a Mac Pro. But it's still kind of painful, and it's even more it's even more specific, and it's even more difficult than the driver game that you have to play with Windows because even less of those exist for OS X. Even even I'm sorry, even less drivers exist in the OS X world, and so you have to be very picky about what's Apple approved because it's. You know, it's it's a driver, it's a, a kernel issue. I mean, you have the same problem, you know, with the Mac Pro. Obviously, if you put a, a, a graphics card in in a Mac Pro that is not supported by Mac OS X, you're going to have the same problem. It, it's funny that I'm actually taking a different stance that there should not be this 
this special Apple subset that they would approve. I'm I'm honestly against that, which is the exact opposite of the software discussion. Oh yeah, they well, they will not do that in a million years. <laughs> I mean, they would rather you know burn one infinite loop to the ground than do that. <laughs> Well, they're about to as soon as they have their mothership, aren't they? <laughs> no, they're going to keep both campuses, actually. I, I, I'm aware of this. Although, I mean, I, I think that, you know, they really should have just, you know, moved everything to the one huge mothership. That would be so cool. Uh. <laughs> and it is a little sad when you look back at the, the video of Steve Jobs presenting at the Cupertino City Council. You could see kind of how frail he was and how tired and, you know, they would ask him a question and, you know, he'd like pause for a second and... You know, he was just, you could tell he was really tired. And we didn't know at the time, but now that was his last public appearance. Yep. And that's, you know, I mean, his last public appearance, I mean, he was he was trying to get approval for something that he knew he would never be able to see. Anyway, so I, yeah, basically <laughs> my, my main point is that over the past several years, uh, in terms of both the software that Apple has either changed discontinued whatever and the hardware that apple has changed discontinued whatever uh they're really sort of slowly phasing themselves out of what would be considered the pro market yeah and that's that's entirely true it's unfortunate in some ways but sometimes they say no this is kind of going back like three things but i'm i've had this photo up for a while uh, and it's something that nathan took from the uh, windows store the microsoft store it looks like the only headphones that you can play with are the Beats audio ones. Is that true? No, 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 no. They've got stuff from okay from other brands. They've got Razer and uh, I think a couple from Incase, which I was In- pretty much unaware that they made headphones. But whatever. yeah, that's they, weird. They, the The only decent ones that I put on were some some Razer a gaming headset. But it's just I I I mean I've heard of Beats for a while, and you know you hear about you know these oh this HTC phone with Beats or this. Crappy HP, HP laptop, laptop with Beats, <laughs> and then I so I look, I pull up a uh, Beats by Dr. Dre on on Wikipedia, and it's just full of things that I don't want to buy. Like oh, you can buy Justin Bieber Beats or P Diddy Beats, or um, you can buy a Chrysler car with Beats. Beats <laughs> and of course, are far too popular at school. There are way too many Beats, and they <sighs> have you ever Kyle? Have you ever listened? To Beats headphones? They're no. terrible. They I, are ridiculously muddy and bass, 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 the only part of sound that matters. I, yeah. I'm recently back in the headphone market, and the funny thing is I might just run back to the same ones that I was using previously, a new pair, of course, but I asked for a couple opinions, and I got audio, I, I got a suggestion for uh, Audio-Technica's which I don't yeah. know where to go sample, and I'm going to listen to headphones first. Audio-Technica, Marshall Brand, and Beats. And so when I went to my local uh, my local Microsoft store, I tried them on, and I was repulsed. They're terrible. They, they, they exactly as Nathan says. I mean, if you're, if, you're going for, if you're going for bass, that's good, but I want the whole range. I want to be able to hear things, and I've always, I've always gone towards that. Plus, they're ridiculously expensive. <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah, they definitely are. They're they're, oh. they're pro class, and they're not they're not pro for the same application. And maybe pro that's class, fine. put that in quotes. They are the pro class prices. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're in the they're in the price range of a pro class, but they're nowhere near good enough for any application that is not just passive listening for the range that is notably boosted 
But something that's even more interesting that I heard about right afterwards is that, so we have Beats by Dr. Dre. But the real question is, have you guys heard of Soul by Ludacris? No, but I already know I hate it. I think I've seen the pictures. I don't think I've tried them on. Nearly identical. Uh, They they have in-ear buds and they have over-the-ear muffs. The, the big key difference is that obviously the logo on the edge of the ears is different and they come in colors that are not just black and white. You can get red beets. I've seen Do red. they? I don't, I have, I don't know. Pay attention. You know, up until I heard about the uh, headphones, I thought that all beats were red. <laughs> yes, I was making a joke there. <laughs> uh, Thank you, Kyle. Thank you for bringing a completely different level of class to the Uh, but yeah one last one last brand that i'm seeing on the page apparently they're a monster cable product and of course we know monster as these ridiculously overpriced and i don't know dollar nickel plated hydrogen infused (laughs) cables exactly for a digital signal that doesn't need more than 50 cents worth of component parts yeah although i mean now that i've sort of invested a little bit in audio hardware i'm suddenly now in the world of analog audio cables and and <laughs> connections and stuff and suddenly things like the purity of the cable do matter unless the thing you're plugging it into is gold plated it doesn't matter if the cable's gold plated <laughs> yes and no um, my voice is gold plated and it's going i don't know <laughs> golden radio voice i think this podcast has just gone off the rails all right <laughs> <laughs> um so in the analog world the quality matters very highly but the problem yes. is that monster decided to continue the trend into the digital world because they can and they are full of crap oh yes and monoprice people monoprice.com save Deep your surplus. bucks big time. same thing and the reason why they're able to sell those 70 dollar 150 dollar hdmi cables is because when somebody's buying you know a three grand plasma whatever tv set uh, is a drop in the bucket exactly but the thing (laughs) is you gotta you can't think about it as a percent you gotta think about it in terms of the actual value like what else could i get for that exactly how many movies could i buy for my tv with 175 dollars i mean it's weird you know if you're if you're shopping for cars and you're like well this one's you know six thousand dollars and this one's 6500 and you know i'm gonna get the one that's 6500 because i like the color of the seats better it's like well is that really worth $500? <laughs> you know, but people don't think about that. You know, the people just think, oh, well, you know, it's just a little bit of a difference. But that little bit of a difference is actual real money that you're going to end up spending at some point. So it's, it's always worth considering that. So our question of the week this week is, is there a way to use punctuation in Siri dictation? This was asked by uh, a user, Evan. He's actually a brand new user, so uh, he, he's um, we welcome him to the site. Uh, he's probably not listening. <laughs> but the question goes, is there a way to use punctuation in Siri dictation? For instance, if I tell Siri to text someone, want to meet for dinner, it won't track inflection, right? So, want to meet for dinner? Question at the end. He had a question mark. How can I add the question mark via voice? And only one person on this show is is capable of answering the question directly with first-hand knowledge. You have to speak the punctuation, which sounds dorky at first, but it you, you get used to it and it works fine. So you would say, want to meet for dinner, question mark? 
I'm going to this restaurant, period. It, it sounds, it's funny at first, and you feel weird doing it, but I think, Kyle, you've used um, Dictation for, for desktop, right? Yes, comma, I did check out Dragon Dictate, period, but, comma, I, I can't even I can't even speak that way anymore. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I did I did check it out a little bit. I, I never really got into the hang of it. I think I need to do a bunch more training, uh, and I think that's actually um, one area where Siri is is better than Dragon. Is that for some reason Siri just works better out of the box? Yeah, I was impressed with that. That yeah, but you do have to do a bunch of training with the with the Dragon and yeah, and the other thing you know the transcription it's rarely perfect but it's certainly faster to get something pretty close with the transcription than it is to type the whole thing out and you know it's it's not really i wouldn't say it's something where you can speak something and then be confident sending it off without checking it it's it's not that good but it's also got the it's got like a blue underline like the autocorrect thing it's got a blue underline if it's not sure and so you can tap that and it'll give you other options and usually if even if the thing that it put in by default wasn't what you said you can tap on it and it'll replace it with what you actually did say. And it looks like you can do other stuff in addition to just a um, like exclamation point or period or question mark. There's an answer here by SJS. And if you say smiley or smiley face, it'll put a smiley face or a wink or winky face. It'll do a like a the wink emoticon. emoticon. And I think, uh, Nathan, you discovered if you say dot, 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 it'll, it'll do the three a, dots. Yeah. Yeah, and you can you can say ellipsis or whatever, right? But uh, looking at this list from the same answer, it's got things like cap to capitalize the next word, or you can turn on caps lock. Lots of lots of stuff that you wouldn't even really think you need to do. So you can dictate caps lock by saying caps and then shouting, huh? So, <laughs> I guess so. That's so. pretty nice, actually. And you can you can dictate spacebar if you don't want it to hyphenate a word or anything like that. It's it's actually fairly comprehensive in terms of punctuation. Then, of course, there's the, the problem of how do you tell it that you're not telling it th- to put those specific things in? Like, how do you put the words, quote-unquote, exclamation point, or... Oh, you just say a backslash first. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't know. I think, um, I, I think I've actually heard that talked about before, and they basically just said something about break the flow of your conversation. Like, question, let it put the word in and then mark because it doesn't it doesn't delete it after the fact it treats it as one whole unit so when you when you interrupt the flow just enough which may be distracting i don't know i haven't really done it firsthand uh but it's you know it's workable question mark question mark it's like yo oh i have this um this person named mark it's like you know i do i do have just one question mark and then it just (laughs) i do have have just one question (laughs) you i have one question comma mark so that i bet i bet if it's if it's got a comment between it or something like that it will okay fine i don't know the just unrelated but kind of related and we mentioned it on a previous show i was wishing that for long transcription it would start sending things up as you speak and so that way when you're done it is faster it doesn't have to process the whole thing and we were discussing potential problems with that in terms of breaking it into chunks and that sort of thing but i apparently Either the servers have gotten much faster for large operations recently, or they've done some kind of a change where all of a sudden now, if, I'm, if I say a couple paragraphs, when I stop speaking, it's pretty much there instantly. So it's clearly been doing something in the background. Invariably why they gave it the beta tag, because they're still doing yeah, things like that very actively, I'm sure. Yep. And you know the fact that that happened before the iOS 5.1 update shows that it's it's been sending up this stuff 
in bits and pieces all along because it was a server side upgrade. So right. I guess they they must have done it. You mean five oh one, but we understood. Oh yeah, five oh one. I have a. There's actually a friend of mine that recently picked up an iPhone on under Verizon, and he did go for the four S. And uh, the first thing I did just to kind of just to kind of mess with him. So there were there were three people here. There was myself, my girlfriend Ryan, my friend Andrew. And he said that he had a 4S, and so I asked him if I could use it for a minute. And he started unlocking and said, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. And I did two things, because I knew he would get a kick out of both of them. The very first thing I said was, I held the button and I said, Siri, call me God. And unfortunately, it (laughs) it didn't prompt me to change the name, because he didn't have his contact, he didn't have a contact marked as him in his address book where it could actually change his name. So it just gave me a little explanation on how to do that and how to do I that see. for relationships. Um, so I went on to the next one and I said, message Ryan, hey, what's up? And it presented, what's up? And uh, since Ryan only has a cell phone, that was the only number in his address book, so I didn't have to prompt anything there. And I said, send or accept or whatever, whatever it is, confirm, continue. I don't even remember the you exact word. You can say any of those things. Yeah. And then... um. We, we just kind of waited for two seconds and then boom, ringtone on Ryan's phone starts going off that she has a new message. <laughs> and it was, uh, that, that was, I, I, like I said, I actively dissuaded him from using the, from unlocking the phone and I did something interesting. Yeah, I've done that. Of speaking. I've done that to a few people where I, I open it up and start sending a text message and they, you know, they stop me partway through, but it's always, <laughs> how do I turn that off? And so I show them how to disable Siri at the lock screen, but I really don't think I would. I really, really don't because I used voice command so much. And well, if I Jason, have to unlock it first, especially while driving, why? None of us drive. <laughs> That'll change. Don't worry. Uh, you know, what they should do is they should have it so that um, you could use Siri when the device is unlocked, but when it's locked, you just use voice control. Because it's only Siri that uh, that that allows what privileged features will say exactly. And I may have already said this, but what I think is really the way to go is, you know, for when you're in the car, you're probably not in the car with somebody who you're particularly worried about them figuring out what your lock code is. Or if you are in the car with other people, you could just have them enter the code or whatever. But I guess anyway, if if you're using Siri from the lock screen, you should at least be able to configure it so that if you do something that is potentially an invasion of privacy siri could ask you to say your lock code and i don't see anything wrong with doing that or at least giving people the option to do that because you could always speak it if you're in private or ta- uh speak it if you're in private and at that point if you really have to at least you're right at the it could bring up the lock screen and you could enter in the pin code if you're you know not in an area where you want to enunciate it yeah yeah i'm i'm kind of paranoid and i would uh I, I, I don't tell anyone my, what my passwords or lock codes are, and the idea of actually saying it out loud is just absolutely, ah, I, I can't do that at all. I can't I do it with a password, but I could do it with a lock code. There's something physically in my brain that's just like, nope, you are not saying this out loud. <laughs> so it, back in the PC days, it's like, yeah, just write down your password on this form when you're sending in, and it's like, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm not giving I, I you actually, my password. <laughs> I had to take my computer to a, somewhere to get serviced. And actually, I don't think they ended up doing anything, but it had something to do. I don't remember the specifics, but it had something to do with a corrupted time machine backup. And Apple sent me to this other third party place because they didn't do whatever recovery I needed. And right. so I actually changed my password because I knew I would have to write it down for the this other store. Yeah. Anytime I bring my my computer if i need to bring my my computer to the apple store 
I will create a special account called Apple Store with no password set to automatically log in uh, with admin privileges. Yes, I know. But at least I don't have to give them my password. The danger is that I don't... Th- Does that work with the FileVault full disk encryption? You can't... I don't think you can... You can't do automatic login with with FileVault. I don't think yeah. you can do automatic login. That's that's going to be a bummer. Because it used to be that each individual home folder was separately encrypted. So you could give them administrative access to your computer. Right. Uh, but then... But they couldn't do anything to get your... Well, you access could, you, to your information. You could just make an Apple Store account with the password be password and write that down for them. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but I mean, I, I think even with the with the modern file vault, um, if you give them administrative access and there's no encryption on like your local home directory, I mean, yes, they'll be able to log in and file and the, the, the full disk encryption will be encrypting everything on the disk. But once they have access to the computer they can just get access to everything. A big pro and con of pers- of isolated personal data with its own yeah. key phrase and uh, whole disk. I think they should uh, they should have both. <laughs> just for ex- extra security. Maybe encryption inside of encryption. Whole disk encrypt and then encrypt home folder inside of encryption. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's what they should do. They really, yeah. I just, I can't believe I forgot this. So Adobe announced this past week that they are stopping development on mobile flash <laughs> thank you thank you about time guys were you applauding me or saying it or were you applauding adobe all of the above oh yeah. good uh <laughs> applauding me that i actually finally remembered to say it because i wanted to say it like an hour ago my about time I, I didn't intend it like that my about time was talking to adobe not to you kyle okay all right <laughs> but it's all Sorry. true you know, that, that's something that yeah anyways yeah uh, th- this is something it's it's the most hilarious part because we've been having this conversation for what three years and all of the yeah. commercials for all of these the full internet on your tablet <laughs> It supports full flash, and it's it, it never supported full flash, and people, you know, now now plenty of people have to eat their words, as John Gruber is so distinctly qualified to point out. Yeah, I think um, when it came to, like, animation and video rendering and stuff, <laughs> that um, those the, 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 the mobile flash was not measured in frames per second, but seconds per frame. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like Shockwave on the desktop. And, you know, honestly, the, the problem that I have is that a lot of websites nowadays, they, the, the iPhone, iPad, iPod Touch, they are popular enough that they will typically have like a separate version of Flash content for those, those kind of devices. But if I visit it with Safari, especially, you know, if I, if I don't have Flash installed on my Mac, if I decide to remove it, if I visit it with Safari, Safari on the Mac can do everything that Safari on iOS can do. And yet, I get these messages that say, you need to install Flash to view this. <laughs> Even though if I was viewing it on Safari, mobile Safari, it would, it would just show the HTML5 stuff. So what I hope is that website authors will take the opportunity to uh, instead of using HTML5 as a fallback from Flash on the desktop, uh, uh, f- sorry, HTML5 uh, as a fallback from Flash, they should use Flash as a fallback from HTML5. That's that, exactly what I try to do. 
Yeah. There are some there are some great open source HTML5 compatibility scripts where you you feed the script your HTML5 content and your Flash content, and it does the user agent sniffing and everything, and it will serve up the most modern encoding that it can. So, hey, web developers, you don't really have to do any work to do this. <laughs> My problem is that people that sit down and actually make a Flash-free interface usually wind up making something that's a million times more functional. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, I just, but, but reserving it in all those same ways that you just detailed. I just know that it's going to be a long, long road ahead because you've got all these restaurants that, you know, a few years ago they paid some companies, you know, a lot of money to create their website. And now they're being told that, oh, yeah, the, the technology that was used to make your website is now out of date and you have to pay another company another big chunk of money to update it. Or the same company yet again. Yeah. yeah. Well, people, can... people have been very quick to point out that Flash isn't dead. This is just mobile Flash plugins. Flash on the desktop is still going to be actively developed. And Adobe was very happy to point out that they have more and more hardware-based rendering and 3D support and a bunch of other garbage technologies that will probably fail for them here soon, too. I mean, as much as Adobe does that, I think they also realize that they have to do some kind of planning for a non-Flash world. Stuff like Adobe Edge and Muse that came out are, H- well, Edge is uh, HTML5 animations for web for a web page, so you can you can create like key f- keyframe and vector animations and stuff for 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 web, and it will export everything with various SVG and JavaScript and HTML5 Canvas stuff for for use in a web page. And Adobe Muse, I haven't tried out, but it's also, uh, you know, you don't need Flash anymore. It's Both of these are in beta, but it just shows that they are looking to that area. They're not completely in denial about Flash staying the only option. I think eventually they'll all come out with some sort of, with, I don't know, whatever their Flash creator is, and then it will have either export as a Flash.swf or export as an HTML5 site. And that eventually, um, all these sites that were originally compiled to the SWF files will just get, you know, reconverted to HTML5, and it probably yeah. won't won't be that good for a while. But at least it'll work on 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 your uh, iOS devices and and now your Android devices because you won't get Flash yeah. on those either. <laughs> I don't know if either if you guys have tried out the Google's. I think Google Labs has a conversion tool for Flash to HTML5 called Swiffy. I don't know if either of you guys have tried that out, but it heard of it, but never it been does, in a position to use it. It doesn't work well. That's I'm, I'm just going to say it. It yeah. you lose a lot, and not just with functionality. Like you lose page content too. It's it's not ready for for use. But it's beta. Yeah, there are there are enough um, differences in how Flash works versus um, HTML5 that uh, like you know I I go to a car dealership's website and they load a million .swf files. And for some reason, they were all able to communicate with one another. And that's just not something you're going to be able to just run through a converter and just get a perfect HTML5 site that works. Uh, there's there's going to be some work involved. Flash is a canvas and HTML is a layout, is a presentation. Yeah, whatever. I think if if Adobe were to help people through this, the way it would work is you, you open up uh, Edge or Muse or whichever app it ends up being. I assume they're going to integrate the two at some point. I don't know. And... It's got an import option for a Flash file, and then you can save it, you know, and then you can load it up into this program, and it's converted to HTML5 and everything. That would be, I think, how it would work. 
rather than go back to the old Flash app and export it. And on the same on the same day Adobe announced the death of Mobile Flash, Microsoft announced the death of Silverlight. Yeah, I'm not uh I'm not crying any, any tears for Silverlight as well, although I have to say that at least I mean, the only thing I, I, I ever used that used Silverlight was Netflix, and at least Netflix was decent, you know? <laughs> the interface was not completely horrible and completely unresponsive, but, you know, I, I'm definitely looking forward to a day when I I do not have Flash or Silverlight installed on my Mac. I have to say that um, the 2008 Olympics used Silverlight as their their on-demand, their video front-end for the, for the actual website, and it was really impressive. I mean, it's... It's one of those things that tells you that it doesn't matter how bad a technology is. If you if you work through it, then you can create some very some very amazing content. Well, um, I think that Silverlight was not bad. I mean, that's the thing. Silverlight was not bad, but it never got the traction. Yeah, you know, it never had the install base. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it was it was in a similar class as Flash, but it was never bundled with anything, and so it never right. made the huge inroads. And it it was. It was modern, but it was also too new because everybody had already been using Flash for these kind of things for years. Right, right. And I think that I'm not sure how much money Microsoft gave Netflix to do their thing in Silverlight, but I bet it was a lot. <laughs> and I th- that was that was a genius move because it got Silverlight installed on a bunch of, of web, web browsers. Yeah. And I'm actually kind of surprised that uh, Netflix hasn't come out with uh, a Mac app yet. I think that would be like a perfect thing. Because personally, I would love it if like Hulu came out with a with a, a native app. But they Netflix, do. They well, do. Like, have well, it's not native. It's Flash based. But yeah, it is, that's down not Hulu. native. <laughs> I mean, it, it runs in a wrapper at least. It's it's got. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Not native. We though. all know how good technologies or applications that just are a glorified wrapper are. <laughs> Gmail. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, no, Gmail on uh, the the Gmail app that was quickly pulled for for iOS. I mean, yes, I guess you could kind of call it a native app in the sense that um, there was some native code running, but mostly it was just a, like a a web view around the the mobile Gmail interface. Why why isn't Google Voice back yet? Why is the Gmail app still dead? If it was you know that hard. I don't know. All go- all of Google's apps were. T- I've always been terrible. I mean, actually, well, that's not true. The um, the Google app, the regular one, is decent, as is the Google Authenticator, which has only one job to display six numbers. So, <laughs> so those are okay. But everything else, plus Google Voice, now Gmail. I think what they're trying to do is they are. Uh, I don't, I don't even know what they're trying to do. They they develop their own little frameworks and stuff for these apps. And I'm guessing that it's probably to share a bunch of code with, with their Android versions or whatever, or maybe maybe even the web versions. But it's just, it's just ending up with a really bad experience because they're not using any of the standard uh, operating system stuff. They're all completely using custom stuff, which is okay if your custom stuff is awesome, but Google's is not. I reused the Google Plus app last night just to kind of see passively if I had any new notifications, forgetting that it would have been very obvious with the red badge in the browser. But I fired up the app last night and I started poking through it and uh, I reminded myself of how much I disliked it. Slow refreshes, non-obvious content expansion. I mean, otherwise the layout and whatnot are presented pretty okay and not to, not a, not to beat the dead horse any further, but man... 
I, I, it's been, it's honestly been that long since I've used a Google app that I went back to it and just shook my head and didn't, didn't stick around like many other things. I've sort of been testing the waters of trying to switch over from using some of Google services to uh, iCloud. Apple's downtime with Siri and with uh, their mail has not inspired me with a whole lot of confidence. So I'm, I'm using it for calendar and for contacts because it's okay if those don't constantly sync back and forth. But with something like email, you know, if I can't receive email for a few hours, I, you know, I'm going to be kind of upset. So I'm sticking with Google for that for now. But man, I, I wish I wish I had a great native interface to that. Didn't Sparrow tweet that they were going to be making an iOS version? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Sparrow's working on an iOS uh, version of their app, Did they but it's still a ways off. No. Okay. All they did was they, they took a picture of it running on either an iPhone 4 or 4S, but it was, you know, it was framed in such a way that you could hardly see the screen. And it was like, here's Sparrow running on, on an iPhone. But no, it's, I mean, the fact that they're not even, they don't even want to show people a single screenshot shows just how far off it is. <laughs> um, I, I'm looking forward to the day when, they, when, it, when it does come, but I understand it'll probably be a while. <laughs> uh, so uh, our, our apps of the week this week are some Finder replacements. And Nathan's been giving these uh, the, a bit of a run through for the past few weeks. And uh, Nathan, what, what have you found out? The, the two apps are Total Finder by Binary Age and Forklift by Binary Knights. And the, the deal with... Uh, I'll talk about Total Finder first because it's simpler. The, the deal with Total Finder is that it's trying to be not a Finder replacement, but more like a set of add-ons to the native Finder, which is actually a really cool way to go about things because it means that you don't have to worry about taking Finder out of your dock. It means you don't have to worry about incompatibilities. But, but, you know, I've, I've had trouble ejecting disks occasionally with Forklift, but Total Finder is just basically a set of add-ons for Finder, so it doesn't mess anything like that up. And its, it's functionality is more limited than a complete replacement like Forklift, but it's, it's actually very cool. So some of, the, some of the, the basic key features are tabs. You get Chrome-like tabs at the top of the window, and split screen, so you can have two views open at a time in, you know, in whatever, whatever view mode you want, and you get two sidebars at the same time for that. And so those that in a, you know that by itself is pretty cool in terms of organization things and not having to use Divi to make split screens and that sort of thing. And and it also does stuff like cut and paste, although that's kind of there in Lion. And it it has this thing called the visor where you can hit a hotkey and this little mini finder window will pop up at the bottom of your screen from wherever you are. So that that can be useful. I haven't really gotten into the habit of using that, but I can see where it could be useful. And and just other several other tweaks like putting letting folders float to the top of lists if you want that sort of thing. And that app is eighteen dollars, and it which is it's it's kind of a lot for for just an expansion pack for Finder. But if you really do like the extra organizational stuff, it's a good deal. And then the other app, Forklift, is. A, it's it's a complete finder replacement and so it's a, a whole new app that you install and if you want you take finder out of your dock you know if you want to start browsing files you open forklift instead of how, how, how do you take finder out of your dock i asked a question on ask different about that and oh. i was given an answer that it, it involves uh editing a a little configuration file for the dock which basically enables the option in that context menu on the icon to remove from dock, which is disabled by default for Finder. 
you know, if you if you click on an app, it gives you the option to remove from dock. So there's a little property list file you can edit to enable that option for the finder. Unfortunately, you can't completely take it out of your dock, so you have to right-click and and remove it every single time the dock relaunches. So I just set up a login item that's a little Apple script to do that for me. But it's a solution. It works. Forklift, it, it does have stuff like Total Finder, like tabs and split view and that sort of thing. But it's got a lot of other features. It's a very... <laughs> it's got a wide range of stuff that it can do. So... The, one of the major features is uh, remote connections. So you can open a connection to FTP or WebDAV or S3 or whatever, lots of different protocols, and either mount it like a volume so that you can get it from open and save dialogs or just open it as a connection in Forklift. And you can browse it like you do any file system and copy things back and forth. And it's also got some synchronization stuff for that. You can also synchronize local files too. And it's got it's got some other stuff. Well, one of the big ones is that you can make droplets where you can drag files onto them and they're uploaded to the to the remote folder. But but then back to general kind of file browsing stuff. Okay, I'll talk about the sidebar. It's it's not really much of a sidebar as much as it is a favorites bar. So it is on the side, but it's not a sidebar like Finder. And you can you can really do whatever you want with it. You can completely reorder things, which was one of the things that bugged me a lot about Finder. You couldn't you know you couldn't put folders on top of devices or anything like that. But you can do that in, in Forklift. And you can also add other stuff. You can add whatever, you know, really whatever you want to the sidebar and group things however you want, which is really useful to me. And it's got other uh, functions for working with files like batch rename. And it can, you can tell it to delete an app, find all the supporting files. And uh, it's, got, it's got, oh, I should have talked about this earlier. For the sidebar, you can create something called a workspace, which is basically a saved state. So you can save sets of windows and tabs and and that sort of thing, and then reopen that with one click whenever you okay. want. These these both sound very um, powerful. I guess I'm sort of wondering, as someone that seems mostly content with Finder itself, what is the benefit to one of these apps? Like I, both of them have the split screen view. What is the benefit to having a split screen? Well, if you want to copy a file from one folder to another. Rather than opening two Finder windows, you can do the split, which I think is a lot faster. Like, I, did, I was I was skeptical, but using it, it, it does save a lot of time in either one of the apps. Okay. And tabs is, is useful just for organizational stuff. If you, rather than searching for a window, you can have one window for, this window is where my photos are, or whatever. And you can go to that window, and even if you've got more than two folders for each open for each uh, for each split you can put them in tabs so you don't have to look through windows it it just depends on how you like to organize your your stuff and if you're if you like to organize stuff with just a bunch of different windows that's that's fine you know finder finder's great but for me i i just i, I really like the flexibility and the that workspaces thing where you can save states is also really useful Okay. The answer to your question, Kyle, is that for somebody who's not really, who doesn't really have anything against Finder, what are the benefits of these apps? There isn't. This, these are apps for those people that have a specific use case in mind and want to put yeah. them to use. Well, um, I, I guess I was sort of wondering what that use case is because Total Finder, like you said, Nathan, is, is $18 and Forklift is actually $30. Right. And so, I mean, those are kind of, those are not cheap um, right. for, for software. And I was just sort of wondering, like, uh, you know, what 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 use cases um, make 
for for stuff like this, it, it becomes so easy. Whereas the traditional finder, it just doesn't doesn't cut the mustard. Well, I have difficulty just justifying total finder because that that is expensive for what it does. But for forklift, it, it it a lot of it depends on how much you work with remote stuff, because a lot of this stuff is geared towards remote remote discs like the the syncing and the droplets and the uh, mounting the connections as volumes and stuff like it's got a transfer queue so you can see the the, the order in which your files will transfer between uh, between the server and your local machine uh, it depends on how much you know if, if you're somebody who works with remote disks a lot it is really useful to have that integrated and the the sync abilities and that sort of thing but if you're someone who never works with remote disks it's not useful to you that's how does that's that true. compare with something like uh, transmit because it's already in the working space that you're using. You don't have yeah. to shell out to a whole other app. And Transmit does synchronization, but Transmit costs more than Forklift. Yeah, it's like 40 or 50 bucks, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's admittedly a couple of uses that are pretty obvious, and much of them are for people that are generally in business that do the same things day in and day out. And then the, that's what these apps specialize in, is making re- not redundant tasks, but repeated tasks drop dead simple. I actually, I might be able to, I I could possibly answer one that's actually very specific for you, Kyle. How would you like an application that when you, a series of applications or what have you, that when you finish editing this podcast, tags it appropriately with the smallest amount of information you need to enter, which is pretty much just the show title, Yeah, takes it, takes the encoded version of the file, tags it, puts it right into the podcast directory. Um, that would be pretty sweet. Exactly. There's a couple. If you can identify these places, there's a lot of things that you can do with this. Somebody like Nathan, who does a lot of specific web design work, if you have a local archive of all of your websites, you know, hit that favorite, hit that collection, and hit sync, and you're done. I can understand how ridiculously quick and simple that is, and it's a lot easier than source control and capistrano migrations and all of this garbage you have the files they don't change you hit sync you you change them when you need to you hit sync and only what needs to go up goes up um not that i'm advocating against source control it's just a whole different level and you know when you do need it you do need it at any rate big three things synchronization is when when you have something specific to maintain that's an exact mirror makes the process ridiculously easy if for no other reason than the fact that nowadays software's smart enough not to send things that haven't changed. You could probably also uh, operate on, on the files locally. So, you know, instead of uh, having to wait a few seconds to for it to send it to the remote thing, every time you hit save, it just, it saves immediately. And then it, whenever it gets a chance, it sends it. Yeah. yeah. The second one that I've kind of tried to do something with that, I, I, I don't know, I've just never really gotten into this routine for some reason, is that droplets, when you have a specific location for a specific series of things, droplets are amazing. Just like you can take a file and drag it on an icon on your dock, you can have like a folder of quick droplets. I know in the past that I've had a droplet that goes to my server's image directory, and I'll take a picture that I want to upload for some reason, I'll do whatever editing or not that I want, and then I'll just drag it on top of that droplet. Nothing nothing significantly happens. It just opens the connection, copies it up there, and done. And the third thing, well, I forgot the third thing, but it's equally as cool as the other two. I will I will take your word for it, Jason. <laughs> it's and it's funny that I'm defending these and I I understand this, but I've just not been in a position to really take advantage of it. And also the point that you kind of started making justifying the cost. I relate these applications 
a lot to everything to the majority, the, the most popular Linux desktop file managers, which I've honestly never liked. And it's been one of the reasons why I've just been trained to open up the terminal and go to the directory that I need to, because there are just so many things that are so overwhelming when I just want to look at my files. And me personally, I'm just fine with a finder, and that's why I haven't bought anything like this. But for an individual that's in these situations that I've talked about, it makes sense. It, the, the cost is justifiable, and it has enough features to make it more than well worth it. And you buy these apps to save time, not because they're fun or they're necessarily a... a you, you can do more with them, but it's a time-saving device. You don't buy an app that gives you you know canned workspaces and droplets and that sort of thing because you couldn't do any of that stuff before. You can always open the new windows you want, and you can always connect to the remote server and copy your files yourself. But the reason you get the software that makes it easier is to save time. And if you don't need to do stuff often enough that it's a problem, or if you if the time it takes is small enough that you're not worried about it, there's no reason to buy an app like this. It's you know probably not worthwhile to do. You wouldn't buy Text Expander to write a book. You would buy Text Expander to fill out the same form time after time. I could even argue that you would the text expander would be good on a book for shorthand or <laughs> anything. I, I love text expander and I try to use it everywhere, but that's yeah, an expansion. Write book. It just writes the book for me. <laughs> <laughs> write the book in text expander so you can write the book using text expander. Thank you. No, yeah. I, there, it seems like there's a lot of overlap between certain apps. Like there's, have you heard of an app called uh, Drop Zone? It's basically it basically lives in your dock, and you drag stuff to it, and then it, you know you can you can upload it to whatever you know FTP. Um, I think it might support S3, but it just so you just drop stuff onto it, and then it either uploads it or or, or, or does whatever. I mean, that's fourteen dollars. You have something like Expand Drive, which you know it doesn't doesn't have the big multi pane uh, window <laughs> um, for 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 finder replacing, but it just seamlessly sort of mounts uh, remote remote drives. So right. it, it, there's a lot of functionality that something like forklift might have that uh, you could get elsewhere but like you said the one drop zone thing is 14 dollars, and so yeah if that's really the only thing you need out of what forklift does you save money but if you need two or three of the things that forklift does you probably save money by buying forklift even if you get some stuff you don't need uh, yeah i just sort of wonder if these sort of all-in-one apps are are better or worse than having lots of little apps that do what you want I some stuff seems out of place for forklift like that delete app thing that doesn't make sense to me to be integrated really and I guess you could but it just seems like a little strange but stuff like the batch rename something that finder doesn't do and that there are definitely third party apps to do I I you know I that makes sense to me to be integrated into the place where if you're going to rename one file you do that from the finder but if you're going to rename 50 files you know, why would you need to open a whole different app to do that? You may as well integrate it. Yeah. Oh, Jason, what's that, um, that terminal thing that will just, it'll open up a terminal in whatever finder window you have open? Determ, and it's not limited D-term. to just finder windows. Um, okay. Determ does, was, go ahead. Does it work with finder replacements? Couldn't tell you. I haven't used them. Uh, well, if it, you know, it, the idea is that it, it talks to the, the, I don't know exactly what the technical term is, but, the idea is if you've got a text edit window open, Dterm can also open to that place. And so, with any luck, here, let me see if I've got Dterm installed to try it. 
Yeah, I do. Yeah, D-term was actually pretty, it was pretty fun to mess around with it when I realized that it doesn't just uh, bind explicitly to the finder. And it goes to, the, the probably the easiest way to explain it is that it should work in almost any application that's at least like natively, you know, using Cocoa sensibly. D-term can run actions and it's based out of the folder where the file you're working on is. So if there's, if you're doing source code or source control tasks and you invoke dterm from even something like chocolate, uh, a, a small little up-and-coming IDE that I've used for a couple of things, when you invoke dterm, the directory that it's resting in is the directory that has the partic- the specific file you're working on. So it's it can be three levels deep in your C or Objective-C hierarchy, or it can be in the topmost main dot, uh, main.m file. I tested dterm does not work with forklift. Oh. Uh. <laughs> Although actually in theory in theory forklift has some terminal thing built in I don't know exactly how that works I haven't used it. Yeah, I think that it's kind of one of those um jack of all tr- trades master of none kind of or master of few I guess. I I guess it's pretty good at doing some things. That's a good way to put it. But because it just it it subsumes all this other extraneous functionality you might be better off with with the with a bunch of little apps because typically those those integrate better. Many of them are free nowadays. Yeah, yeah. Well, this has been the Ask Different podcast. You can find us online at apple.blogoverflow.com. You can also find us on iTunes by searching for Ask Different Podcast. We would really love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us by emailing us at podcast at askdifferent.net. You can also leave a comment on our podcast posts on apple.blogoverflow.com. And we are we are looking to get on members of the community. I mean, it won't be like an interview kind of detailed dissection of your career and or life. You know, we just want to get you on to talk about uh, Apple stuff, get your perspective on on that kind of stuff and, and, and on the Ask Different site. So if you're interested in that at all, please email us. And and we will be in touch. We do the podcasts every other weekend, and we're pretty flexible on the, on the time for recording. So yeah, just get get in touch with us, and and we'd really love to 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 have that happen. <laughs> All right. Anyone else have anything to say? <laughs> no, I think you about covered it, Kyle. I did. I did. I okay. Well, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm Kyle Cronin on Twitter. Nathan and Jason don't want you to follow them, so don't follow them. In fact, if you are following them, unfollow because they hate you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, Maybe. But seriously, um, you're going to want to follow me because I'm awesome. All right. Well, thanks for listening.